for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blicey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 35. Today, I don't have my co-host, Justin, with me. He is actually in Iowa, but they are getting hammered with a big snowstorm tonight, and uh, he's got some other things he has to deal with. So I'm flying solo tonight, and I do have a really cool guest on. His name is Jared Schaefer. He's from West Virginia, and he comes on to talk about his season this last year and he had a good one he first started off in wyoming and killed a great mule deer comes back to west virginia gets on a couple bucks on public land moves to ohio and kills a great buck and then goes back to west virginia to kill another really good buck so this is a really cool podcast we also get into saddle hunting and uh running gun setups so i'm really excited to bring this one to you guys hopefully you enjoy it so Without further ado, here is Jared. All right, we are hot, and today I have Jared Schaefer on the phone with me. Jared, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. It's it's cold here in Michigan. There's no snow yet, which which is okay. I like that. <laughs> that means I can <laughs> I can drive through all the farm fields right now to get back to the woods and do everything I need to do, and uh, everything's frozen. So that's that's uh that's a okay with me for sure. Yeah, for sure. We're actually getting some snow here now. It's been a pretty mild winter, but uh, yeah, we got a couple inches today and actually got to take my boy out hunting a little bit. So it was uh, a pretty good time. Well, cool, man. Before we get too far, I do want to, for everybody who doesn't know you, kind of give us a a background, who you are, where you're from and, you know, what you do for a living. Yeah, sure. So my name is Jared Schaefer. I'm from North Central West Virginia. I'm 31 years old. I got two awesome kids, um, married to a really good girl that likes to hunt and fish and do all that stuff. And uh, I'm a electrical technician by trade. Um, I grew up in North Central West Virginia, lived here all my life, um, hunted here mainly all my life. But here in the past couple of years, I've got to branch out and do some other things. But uh, yeah, just a West Virginia boy that likes to hunt. That's pretty much it. Well, sweet, man. So, you know, today I wanted to bring you on because 
you you you've got a lot you've got your hand in a lot of things from what I can see from social media and YouTube <laughs> and everything. You're a photographer, you're a videographer, you a hardcore hunter and you just get it done year after year and you know by the looks of your social media you might have had the best year of your life this year. I don't know if that's true, but I'll let you answer that for yourself. Uh honestly the last 2 years have been pretty awesome. Um I didn't think I could top last year but I may have done it this year. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I've been really fortunate the last couple of years to kill some really nice bucks and have some good hunts. So, um, yeah, I guess I've done pretty good the last year or so. So growing up in West Virginia, can you explain how that hunting is, like how you were brought up doing it and, and how it is now? Yeah, sure. So I got started hunting, you know, at a really young age, my dad, you know, take me out, um, you know, squirrel hunting, small game hunting, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, when I was coming up, the, our hunt season really revolved around the week of rifle season, which was in the week of Thanksgiving. So the whole year kind of revolved around that. Um, everything else was just kind of extra. Um, my dad did get into bow hunting pretty good when I was little. And, uh, you know, I always remembered you know, waiting for him to come home after dark to see what he would, you know, see if he had any luck or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I could always remember just waiting for my dad to come home and, um, see what he got. But, uh, yeah, mainly when I was young, you know, it, it revolved around that week of rifle season. And, um, that's kind of how it is here in West Virginia. The, you know, the, the rifle season is a big tradition thing. And, uh, that's when you see most of the hunting pressure. Um, bow season is when, you know, you see, you don't see as many guys in the woods. So that's kind of why, why I like bow hunting, but, uh, yeah, it's a kind of a big tradition thing around here with the, with the rifle season, I would say. Yeah. And that sounds a lot like the area where I'm at here in Michigan, you know, and rifle season's a huge, huge tradition and deer camp's a huge tradition. And we do have a lot of yep. bow hunters as well, but you know, there's not as many obviously as, as rifle hunters, but, um, you know, bow hunting to me, that was one of my dad's biggest passions when he was, you know, when I was coming up and young and everything. And that was something he instilled in me. And it's something every, I remember, you know, I actually had my daughter shooting my first bow last night. You know, she's only 16 months old, nice. but we were in the basement here <laughs> and I was helping her and everything. And, and she, you know, she's still really little, but she like kind of took to it and she was like, wanted to keep doing it and doing it and that you know that's just i i got a picture that's kind of how i probably was back when i was little but yeah you know yeah. it's just one of those things those traditions that you know you you, you latch on to and, and the rest is history basically but yeah for sure you know i've been to west virginia a couple times and honestly i was i've only been th been there for uh, whitewater rafting on the new river gorge and everything but yep you know and 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 in that area, it's really hilly and everything. Now, explain to me kind of what your terrain is and, and what you hunt there in West Virginia. Yeah, so most of West Virginia is pretty hilly. There's not really any flat areas in West Virginia. Um, the area you were talking about, it, it gets more extreme down that way. I'm in the northern end closer to uh, Pennsylvania. So we've still got some pretty steep country up here. Um, the hills aren't as high, but definitely some bluffs, um, really steep ridges, um, rocky kind of open hardwood type terrain, uh, mountain laurel. It's you know, just a really pretty place to hunt, but it can definitely be, uh, pretty, uh, physically demanding, I guess I could say. 
do you start every year in West Virginia? Because I know you uh, travel around Ohio and and you've been going out to you know out west and everything and hunting mule deer and 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 stuff like that. So do you typically start right there in West Virginia and and then kind of branch out from there? Yeah, our season um, started opening up a little earlier a few years ago, and um, I always try to locate a buck here close to the house, and I'll kind of start here in West Virginia. And, um, I can hunt after work and stuff like that. So I always start my season out here and then uh, I'll kind of move on as I get closer to the rut. Okay. And are you typically 100% public land or do you do a little mix of public and private or, you know, how's that playing out for you? Yeah, I do a little bit of mix of both. Um, I got some pretty good private ground to hunt, but I also do a lot of scouting on public land, just trying to find areas that I could bounce around to. And, um, yeah, the last couple of years I've kind of gotten into the public land thing and just really been having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, growing up here, I've I've never had to go get public land or have to go hunt public land because I was I've been fortunate enough and blessed enough to ever since, you know, I started hunting, I've been hunting uh private that my family has owned and you know, so I I've been kind of spoiled in that way. I've never really had to go branch <laughs> out and and honestly, growing up, you know, public land was never even like a thought, you know, not public one was never really even talked yeah. about, honestly. And not a lot of guys around me were doing it that I, that I knew. So it was not something I just never even looked into really. It, it's something that I've been, it's been a thought and I've been wanting to do it, but I put so much time and effort into my private lands and, you know, trying to keep them up kept with, you know, with, trail cams and, and scouting and, and food plots and hinge cutting and land management and stuff like that. I really just don't even have time to even manage right. those to the, to the tip top shape that I want them. So I don't even, right. <laughs> the public land kind of gets put on the back burner. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Um, it's kind of funny cause I was, you know, when I was raised, you know, my grandfather and my dad would always talk about when they used to hunt public land and how bad it was and, how many bad experiences they had and just people being everywhere. And I always kind of took it as public land was like the last resort. Yeah. And I, that was, that's really a big mistake on my part because I've realized now what I've really been missing out on the, the past couple of years. Cause I've honestly had nothing but good experiences on public land. So kind of regretting that over the years. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's kind of the same way I took it too, is like public land was for those guys that didn't really have a place to go. So they went to public land, you know, it wasn't a lot of guys that were, had private right. land farms as well. And they were just, you know, decided to go hunt public. So, but it is on the radar for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, I, I do want to get into this year. So maybe let's start at the beginning, you know, um, the beginning of this year coming in through the summer and what your plan of attack was for all these hunts. You know, I, so just to recap, like you killed a buck in West Virginia, right? I in Wyoming and killed a buck there. And then I come back to West Virginia and then moved to Ohio and then back to West Virginia. So, okay. I, th- so, I think that's the right order. <laughs> okay. So let's start there. I mean, you went out west, so let's start with that trip. What was your plan of attack going out there and, and uh, getting that buck on the ground? Yeah, so this trip was kind of a long time coming. Um, we had been putting in for points for that area for eight years. So um, we finally put in for the tag, and I'd kind of already been, you know, getting myself physically ready, training and stuff 
the you know last year but um when i finally saw that i drew the tag um i really ramped up my training this past summer and honestly most of my focus was on that um i did run trail cameras um in west virginia and ohio and honestly i didn't really have any bucks that were that really excited me so i just put all my focus into getting ready for this wyoming trip and uh we went out there September 12th. We got out there, had a couple days to, you know, get familiar with the area and get settled in. And um, we actually found a couple bucks the very first day in there. And uh, the first day of season, we actually uh, two of two of us. There's three of us that went, but me and my buddy, we both tagged out the very first day on that trip. Oh wow! Were you with a gun or a bow? It was with the rifle. Yeah, okay. it was an early season rifle. Yep. So you guys tagged out the first day. You know, what was that hunt like? Were you guys up in the mountains? Where is it more flatlands? What was your plan of attack to to get on these mule deer? Yeah, we were up in the high country. Um, we backpacked in. Um, it was just an area that I I had found on uh, just you know cyber scouting, uh, Google Earth, Onyx Maps. It was just a spot that I found that. I thought would hold some deer and I just kind of marked areas that I wanted to check out. And, uh, yeah, we hiked up in there about four and a half miles. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the hills in West Virginia can be pretty, pretty bad, but you, you know, you haven't seen nothing until you go out West and <laughs> get to experience those mountains. I mean, yeah. it was, it was absolutely amazing. Um, it was really intimidating to be honest when we first got out there, you know, thinking can we actually do this right and uh you know we just took it slow just started hiking up into the the area that i had marked on the map and um we made it up in there and we uh hiked out to a glassing spot that i'd marked on the map and this is no joke within five minutes i spotted a 175 inch buck <laughs> holy cow and this is on public land <laughs> yeah public land just wow. do it yourself and I've never seen a mule deer in my life, and the, the first one I saw was a 175-inch buck. Holy cow. So did the other two guys that you're with, have they ever mule, mule deer hunted at all? No, this was all our first time. So so what was your big plan? Like, you know, what was your thought in your head? Like, this is what we're going to start with and then kind of go this way? Or did you have a plan A and a plan B? Like, where were you at with that? Yeah, we had several spots marked that we wanted to uh, just get to in glass. And then if, you know, if we didn't see anything, we were going to move on. But, uh, yeah, we made it to the first spot. We glassed up that big buck. He had two other bucks with him that, that were smaller. They weren't shooters. Um, so, you know, we kind of had that deer located. So we decided to, um, go to another spot that we had marked that was actually really close to camp and we hadn't been there five minutes and we spotted another big buck just a thousand yards below our tent. So, uh, you know, knowing that we had two good bucks located, we were just we uh, we decided to draw sticks to see who got to go after the biggest buck. <laughs> so uh, we did that opening morning, and my my buddy Josh he drew the stick to go after the big buck, which I was totally fine with. And uh, him and his brother they uh, they took off after that buck that morning, and I dropped down below camp just to uh, glass that hillside and. Uh, I ended up on this, he was a three by four and another smaller four by four. They were coming out of the timber, headed up into the, 
the cliffs to, to I guess, bed for the day. And uh, I watched him for a little bit. And, man, this buck, he was just really cool looking. Has a double throat patch, velvet hanging off still. And I think that's kind of what tipped me over the edge that I decided to go after him. Um, I had him at 470 yards, I think. And uh, I just decided I was just going to see how close I could get, see if I could put a stock on him. Yeah. So I just started moving down the down the canyon, trying to get the wind in my favor and all. And I got to within 200 yards. I couldn't see him. So I just decided to keep on moving. So kept moving down the canyon. I got in the same patch of trees that they were in. <laughs> and uh, I actually caught a glimpse of them. And I decided just to creep creep my way along until they – I either got a shot or they jumped up yep. and, uh, I got within, it might've been less than 60 yards. It was really close, but I kicked him up out of his bed and he, uh, he took a couple jumps to stop broadside and instinct kicked over from there and I dropped him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. How long, how long of a stock was it for you then? Uh, I'd say probably an hour and a half. It wasn't too bad. All going downhill, or did you kind of go downhill, and then you have to kind of go back up to where – was he on another valley? Yeah, so I was kind of on the same level as him on the side of this like, kind of like a rock. Um, it's not like a cliff, but it was really steep. But they kind of – where they come out of the timber and were headed up, they were kind of on the same level as me. So I dropped down into the heavier timber just for some cover and kind of circled around them. And uh, ended up kind of coming back up the hill. I kind of circled down. The wind was blowing straight down the canyon. You know, the thermals were still falling. It was early morning. So, you know, I kind of stayed low and uh, circled them so my wind was good and ended up coming back up into them. That's awesome. So, I mean, it, that was pretty easy then. <laughs> As you walk up yeah, to them and, you, and you're like, what are you thinking? That's got to be pretty easy. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, that I screw up you know shooting this buck on the first day but um it actually ended up paying off and i can get into that because um you know i we had the the garmin in reaches so i I messaged the guys and they came down and um they had actually got within 300 300 yards of that other buck the big one Uh and just didn't get a shot at him so um josh had went after that buck in the morning so he decided he was going to help me pack my deer out because it was pretty warm that day and uh his brother was going to go back to the same area and go after this the the bigger buck so we uh we packed my buck out i had 80 pounds i would say on my back and josh had about 40 with the cape and everything so that was pretty rough um i've packed out a couple whitetail but nothing like that i mean i had trained for it but when you're coming down straight up and down rock ledges and stuff like that it's it's pretty uh physically demanding it's but, a different ball game for sure yeah absolutely um i loved every step of it though man it, I, I loved it it was awesome yeah um we got packed out back to the truck and we had to drive an hour and a half back to the processor and uh got him all dropped off and as as we were driving back to the trailhead i got a message on my inreach that jeremy had shot that other buck <laughs> oh wow <laughs> the big one yeah he shot the big one and uh so we hiked four and a half miles to camp and then we had to hike two more miles past that to where he was at wow and uh 
Yeah, by the time we got his buck packed out back to camp, it was like 1 a.m., I think. Holy cow. Yeah, so super long day. <laughs> yeah, that does make for a long day, but a successful day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just never would have dreamed that we would have killed two bucks the, the first day. Right. But, uh, yeah, the day, so he shot, you know, he shot that one Saturday. I helped him pack it out Sunday morning. And uh, as we were driving back to the trailhead, we could see this big plume of smoke coming over the mountain. And uh, I thought that it looked pretty close, you know. And yep. uh, I started messaging my wife and trying to get her to contact the Forest Service and figure out where the forest fire was. And she couldn't get a hold of anybody. And uh, so we started hiking back up to try to find Josh and uh, – he had actually come running off the mountain. He was almost back to the trailhead. He had left all of our gear. Everything was still up on top of the mountain. Holy cow. And, uh, yeah, ash was raining down on him, just completely covered in smoke. So, yeah, it was pretty scary, honestly, because we didn't know what to do. We had, you know, several thousand dollars worth of gear sitting on top of the mountain. Yeah, no kidding. And, uh we just kind of slowly worked our way up, just keeping an eye on the, the smoke and everything. And we decided we were just going to go for it and try to get all of our gear and get out of there. And we ended up making it and we packed that night and, uh, yeah, we had to get a hotel room, try to come up with plan B after that. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, how close was the fire to you guys? Do you know? Um, it was two ridges over. So probably, three miles from us close enough I would say. <laughs> yeah definitely and it was so dry that we were just worried that you know falling embers could just set off another one just at any point so right yeah wow that's crazy it was definitely yeah the first couple of days were pretty big adventure that's for sure yeah so you know you're wyoming you're in wyoming right that's where you were at yeah, that was Wyoming, yep. Yep, so Wyoming was a success for you. So then you decided to come back to, to West Virginia, and were you going to start the bow season off there then? Yeah, that was my plan, was to come back to West Virginia and, uh, you know, just start my process all over. Um, I didn't have any good bucks on camera, like nothing. It was looking pretty grim, really. So I just decided to start hopping around to these uh, bedding areas that I'd scouted out. And just, you know, hopes that I could find a good buck. And uh, I actually did an observation sit over a, a bedding area that I killed a buck in the year prior. And uh, actually spotted a really nice buck. Probably, he's a four and a half year old. He was a 10 last year. He was a nine this year. And uh, I almost got a shot at him that night. He was just out of range. And I watched what he did. And uh, I went back in there the next day. And I had him at 16 yards and didn't get a shot at him. There was just really? some limbs and stuff in my way. Yeah, so I almost put it together early on a really good buck. And uh, after that, it was just the same deal. I kept having run-ins with good deer. I had a really nice buck, 24 yards on public land. Just didn't get a shot. And uh, that was kind of the story of my early season. It was just... I was getting on pretty good deer, but I just, I wasn't able to, you know, get any shots off. So that, that first buck that you had a couple encounters with, was that on public land then? 
No, it was actually private land. Okay, private. So how big of a private chunk are you hunting? How big is it? 250 acres, I would say. Okay. And do you have a couple guys that hunt it with you, or are you the only one that hunts it? Um, There are a few guys that hunt it, um, mostly rifle hunters. There's a couple guys that bow hunt it, but nothing too bad. I've pretty much got the place to myself. That that's awesome. That's that makes it nice. So going in, you know, you said you were you were going after these these bedding areas that you had killed a buck in last year. So yep. what kind of plan were you trying to make? Like when you're going to these bedding areas, do you have wind specific bedding areas? So like you know, with a west wind, do you only hunt this bed and this bed, or, or you know, are you just kind of getting on you know any side of the beds? you know, that's a good win for you and just trying to hunt, you know, seeing if anything's coming in and out. Right. Yeah. These are mainly uh, wind specific spots, wind specific beds that I've just basically found over the last couple of years, you know, scouting and, you know, through my observation, you know, in season, but yeah, I've got, I don't know how many spots, quite a few spots that I've scouted out that on certain winds just seems to hold a couple bucks and uh a couple of them are specific beds but lots of them are like a bedding area kind of a small area that yeah will hold a couple bucks that's kind of what i'm targeting yep and you're you're hunting exclusively out of a saddle right yep okay yep, so tree saddle. Yep. yeah and that's something i want to get into here eventually as well but that makes it nice because you know a couple years ago i hunted out of a saddle a couple it had been eight or nine years ago i hunted out of a saddle for a couple years in um I've actually had Greg Godfrey from Tethered on, and he's actually going to come on next week again to talk about some more saddle stuff. But uh, nice. I was hunting out of a, a trophy line tree saddle. I don't know if you're familiar yep. with the trophy lines at all, but, um, yep. you know, it was just it was one of those things. It just wasn't comfortable for me, and, and uh, I kind of struggled out of it in a, in a lot of ways. But it, it was nice. I see the benefits in it, and I really want to get back into doing it. Um, right. but a lot of, and we can get in, into it another time, but a lot of, a lot of kind of what I'm hunting is, uh, I have to have kind of, you know, I feel like I have to have set stands because I'm getting really aggressive, but now, you know, setting, you know, prepping trees, specific trees, it's no different than just putting a stand up or just prepping it for a saddle. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm really excited yeah, exactly. about getting one of those and, and getting back into it because it's, there's so many benefits to it. Yeah, I'm definitely a, a huge fan of the saddle. It's been it's been a game changer for me, you know, over the last several years. There's no doubt about that. It's uh, just makes it a little bit easier to me, you know, the terrain we have around here. It's just, you know, I like to self film, so carrying a a stand with all that gear is just it it's just tough. it's awful. So yeah, yep. The saddle makes it easy. Yep. So to kind of get back to the the beds. So I have a question and this is something I'm, I'm learning, you know, buck beds and how they bed, you know, the last, within the last like year or two. So my biggest thing is, have you had an experience where you see, uh, bucks, you know, you were talking about a specific bed. So do you have, you know, will there be six bucks that use this bed or as if there's a dominant buck in the area, will he be the only one using that bed? Have you had that instance at all? Yeah, actually in uh, 2016, I killed a big dominant buck that um, was using a specific bed. And uh, there was actually quite a few other bucks that would bed really close to him. Like they would bed, I'd say within 40, 50 yards of him, just kind of 
you know, circle around him almost. But uh, yeah, I've definitely seen, you know, these big, you know, the more mature bucks will take that best bed in that area and the the other bucks will kind of fill in the gaps around him. I've, I've definitely seen that. Yep. And what you mean by best bed, you mean like the the best for like the one on the property that like is bulletproof you know he can see the danger and he can smell the danger very well and he's got exits correct is that what you mean yeah exactly yeah just the best bed in that in that specific area he'll kind of take over that area at least that's what i've seen anyway so the beds you know do you have a couple different areas on this 200 and what would you say it was 250 acres is that what it was yeah, around 250 acres, yep. So on the 250 acres, do you have, you know, a couple different beds that you like, bedding areas that you like to go in and, and hunt around? Yeah, definitely. There's, um, I'm trying to think here off the top of my head. I'd say there's six or seven different spots that I can hunt that are that are really good bedding areas. Um, most of them set up for some some sort of you know northwest wind southwest wind a couple of them are actually at northeast wind um but our predominant wind here is southwest so you know i'll get a lot of beds on the um north facing slopes northeast okay and uh, that seems to be the most consistent around here yeah in the early season anyway so with your bedding areas, like you said, you, you didn't have any bucks coming to the, the caliber that, you know, you really want to take. So you were just going to start jumping around to these bedding, bedding areas. So now year in and year out, are some of these bedding areas, are you almost guaranteed to see a buck that you want to go after or is it pretty hit and miss? Between all of these spots, there is usually a buck in at least one of them. Um, I don't put a whole lot of stock in what the trail camera is showing me because I can have that camera out there for two months and not get a picture of a buck that's using that area. Um, the the first buck that I told you about, that big nine point, th- this was a perfect example that trail cameras just don't show you everything because I had a, a cell camera and this camera was only 15 yards from this bed on a pretty heavy exit trail. And I never got a picture of this buck. And, you know, I went in there on that observation set and he got up out of that exact bed. I watched him stand up out of it. And then I went in, I don't know if it was the day after or maybe two days after, but he came out of that same exact bed and I never got a single picture of him. So <laughs> it's, it's crazy how those big mature deer, you know, some of them, they just have a sixth sense and, you know, how to elude cameras. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I think that's a mistake a lot of people make is, you know, they'll go solely off what that camera shows. And man, that has burned me. I don't know how many times <laughs> because there, you know, there could be a good buck in there. and You're just not getting a picture of him. Right. Yeah. And here in Michigan, I've got a, a piece of property that I'm trying to hold more deer on and I'm doing some land management, some hinge cutting, and I've got an older camera that's, it's not a great camera, but, um, I let that thing run all year in there and I never move it from that tree. And now I'm not dealing with a lot of mature deer, you know, four and a half, five and year old deer, but you know, there are quite a few three and a half year old deer that, that I'm trying to target that come through here and they will come up to this camera. They'll lick it. They'll smell it. They'll walk around it. (laughs) They do not care about that camera, but I do have some cameras that if you just pop them up there, 
they get a little leery about it and you might get a picture of them, but it's like, they don't like it. They have to get really used to it, you know? And, yeah, and yeah, that's what I try sure. to do with all my stuff. Even my sticks, you know, my ladder sticks, I try to get them out early. I don't even have to hang the stands. I just like to get the sticks out there so they can see it, walk by right. it and yeah. they don't care, you know? Yeah. That stuff definitely makes a difference. And I actually have started putting my cameras up about 10 feet and just pointing them down. Okay. And, uh, just, just so they don't see them. But, then you're targeting a really small area. So it makes it even harder to get pictures of them. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I ran into that this year as well. I had that same exact scenario and I'm like, well, it was on the inside edge of a bean field. And earlier on in the summer, I wanted to put it right on the tree where my stand is. So, you know, when I go in there to hunt it, I was just going to, as I climb up the tree, I was literally going to grab it right off. But I realized that it does not pick up a lot, especially on a bean field yeah. when you want to get those deer that are way out there or it, it doesn't, I, it really didn't tell me anything. It was a waste of time to be honest with you. So you really have to be, yeah. I figured out that you really have to be, you know, specific. It might be a specific trail that you're trying to get in, in the scenario I was in, I kind of messed up and didn't get what I was looking for. So <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you went in there and you, and you, you know, you were after this big buck, saw him a couple times, and then you actually got on another another deer, What correct? Yeah, so I got on, I'd actually scouted out a spot on public land that was almost two miles from the truck. It was a pretty good hike, and uh, pretty high-pressured place. It seemed like there was a good many guys hunting it, but back in where I went, there was no sign of anybody being in there, and it was the only spot that I could find that that was holding a lot of really good bucks on. I actually found some apple trees in there, which is really rare for this area. It's just not something I find that often. So yeah, ended up uh, hanging a camera in there. And uh, I went back in there. I hunted that spot once in the early season. Uh, I didn't see anything that time. And then the second time I went in there is when I had the encounter with that buck. He was a good nine-pointer, really heavy. I'd say he was probably a three-and-a-half-year-old, but, I mean, that's a shooter to me up here. Yep, yeah. But, uh, you know, I had that camera in there, and I wanted to check it, but this spot is so thick that I could not find the camera after dark. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to leave the camera, and so I didn't know what was in there at all. I mean, I, you know, I'd seen that buck. I knew he was there, but I actually went in there a third time, and uh, retrieve that camera and there was quite a few good bucks using that spot so definitely keep that spot in mind for this this coming year yep so when you're when you're going into this spot have you been to this spot before in previous years or is this a totally new spot of this public yeah this place is completely new to me um it's pretty close to where i work so i just wanted to kind of use it as a secondary area or just another spot to try out right after work but yeah, so I just uh, just went in there in March and just kind of walked the whole place. It's not really, it's not that big of a place, so I was able to kind of cover most of it. But um, yeah, I just found one good area that seemed like it was holding holding all the deer, and it was pretty good ways back in there. So I just kind of went in there for two days and broke it down the best I could and planned my access routes and pick the tree and everything I was going to use and then just left it alone until season. Okay. So you actually did previously scout this in the summer then? Yeah, actually okay. in the, in the, I think around March time frame. So it was before everything greened up, but gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that, that, you know, that's one thing that 
I ask a lot of guys that hunt public is like, where do you even start? You know, if, if, you know, do you do, do you go in there and and scout in the off season or if you can't, are you just kind of going in willy nilly or, you know, that that's kind of where to me, you know, how you were saying Wyoming with the Hills and everything's intimidating to me, public land is almost intimidating in a way. It's like, we've got a piece by us here. That's like 8,000 acres. And it's like, Holy cow. Like where do you even, where do you even start? (laughs) You know? And I just need to go walk it to be honest with you. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm tackling something like that, like I've got another place that I've been hunting this year. That's 18,000 acres. Holy cow. It's yeah, it's huge. So I just pick small areas and kind of break it down, you know, cyber scouting, trying to figure out the best spot to look at in that one little area. And then, you know, I'll spend the day break down that area, see if it's worth checking out. And then if it's not, I'll move on to the next. It's, you can definitely, you know, wear yourself thin trying to look at a place that big. You just kind of have to break off small chunks and take it one day at a time. That's, that's kind of how I do it anyway. Yep. And now and when you're kind of breaking that down, uh, what, what kind of terrain features, I mean, you said you're in really hilly country, like, are you looking for terrain features? Are you looking for some sort of food or, you know, what's, what's, what's the first thing that you're looking for? Are you going right after buck beds? Like, like what, are, what is it? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely looking for, you know, benches and or points, you know, anything that would, you know, I might think a buck would bed, but, I'm looking for like connecting features, you know, like a skinny ridge that connects two or three other ridges that come into it. Um, another good thing to look for in the hill country around hill is, or hill country around here is if you have a really steep ditch on the side of a, a ridge, you know, it'll kind of funnel the deer toward the top side of it. And that's always a good thing for um, any kind of transition edge from hardwoods to like a clear cut or maybe pines, you know, anything like that is usually a pretty good area to check out. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, they're all, all great features and everything. And, and that's just the things that I'm trying to figure out, not even on public, just for, you know, other features, even on, on my private farm that, you know, the saddles and the benches and, you know, things that funnel right. down and connecting factors. And, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it from hill country to flat in my eyes, it, you can find those, but they might not be, I mean, you can find the same features, but they might not be as apparent, you know, so it might take a little yeah. bit harder, a little deeper thought and to, you know, to look into it. Yeah, I would, I would probably struggle a little more on flatter terrain. I think, you know, having the defined terrain features in hill country makes it a little easier, but um, yeah, I tend in more flatter terrain like if you have a real big flat ridge around here, if you can find those transitions to from really thick cover to more open hardwoods, you know, it's usually a pretty good place to start and start breaking it down from there. Yep. Okay. So back to, you know, I got off on a tangent there and I want to keep going on that, but I want to go back to this, this other buck on public. So you found this buck on public and, uh, you know, you had, you found some apple trees back there and you couldn't find your camera for a couple of days. So, <laughs> so from there, take me from there. What happened next? So that spot, I actually, once I was able to check that camera, it told me that once those apples were gone, those bucks were gone. There was, cause there was a ton of rubs in there. There were starting to be some scrapes, but they had done all of that in 
like the first week of October. And after that, there was, there was absolutely nothing in there. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. So I just, I kind of abandoned that spot. Um, I did hunt it one more time with a rifle, just a quick hunt after work, but I, yeah, I just moved on after that. So then what was your game plan? Were, were you going to try to find those bucks again, see where they relocated, or were you going to back out and just go for a new area? Yeah, I didn't really have another, you know, another spot to check out on that particular piece of public. So I just kind of abandoned it for the year. Um, I'm going to revisit that this spring and try to break it down a little better and see where those deer go. But uh, I, I definitely learned that it's a really good spot early season if those apples are in there those bucks were definitely in there a lot in daylight so yeah i just kind of moved on after that and uh started hunting other areas that uh i had scouted out and then did you have did you find any success in you know mid-october to later october getting you know gearing up for the rut so i had i didn't have any luck um getting on another buck and you know the in the private areas that i had um I did kill a doe with a bow, but, uh, yeah, I got up to the end of October and, uh, I, I couldn't put it together on a buck here. So, uh, yeah, I, I moved on to Ohio after that. And then was it Ohio public or do you have private land that you go after in Ohio? I actually have a, uh, 63 acre lease over there. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's a small little place, but it, uh, it's got a lot of really good property surrounding it so it's it sets up really nice and then going into there is that where you were going to you know focus the rut on you know you were going to take the rut from there and just see if you can get on any bucks did you have any any good bucks on camera there or was it all kind of like starting from scratch um we had some bucks that i knew made it through the previous season this is our, our second year on this place um killed a really good buck over there last year and uh i knew there was a couple that i would was definitely going after there's one buck that we call flyer he's um i couldn't tell you how old he is i mean he's just a brute of a deer he's he's for sure six plus years old i mean he's just an old buck but uh we uh we actually didn't have any pictures of him and i was kind of wondering if you know something didn't happen to him but we had a couple other good bucks that i was going to go after and uh he actually, that buck actually showed up on camera. I think it might've been Halloween or right around Halloween. So going into the rut, I knew that he was there to chase and I had several other good bucks. So yeah, I definitely had quite a few options over there. So is, is your lease close enough to your house where you can drive down for a weekend or is it more of like a, you know, it's a longer drive where you can just go in or you have to go in there and, and kind of spend a couple of days. Like what, what's that scenario look like? Yeah, it's only about a two-hour drive, so we uh, spend a lot of weekends over there just hunting, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or we've even driven over and just hunted it for the day, so it's close enough that it's it's pretty convenient. Yeah, that's that's real nice. So what what was the time frame you were going to be uh, focusing on in Ohio? Like what days in November? Um, so right around Veterans Day is my absolute favorite time to be over there, so I kind of kind of held off until then i wanted to you know i didn't want to put any pressure on it just kind of wanted to go in there and see what happened and uh, the very first day you know the buck i was telling you about that we call flyer 
I set up in a stand just for that deer. And, uh, cause the year prior on November 11th or 12th, something like that, we had him come through this spot right after daylight and we almost got a shot at him. I was filming for a buddy of mine and, uh, we had him at 10 yards and didn't get a shot at him. Wow. So kind of knowing that, you know, the areas that he likes to run that I set up in this spot for him and, uh, it was just starting to crack daylight and I could hear a deer coming up the ridge, same exact way he came the year before. And it was him. He came right in behind me, 22 yards. I, I had him, I was at full draw and, uh, it was too dark. I could not see through my peep to get a good shot at him. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he walked off, you know, I got to, he got to the top of the ridge and skyline himself and, you know, I got to watch him for a few minutes and, uh, that day turned out to be probably one of the best rut hunting days I've had in years. Um, right after daylight, I had a big 10 pointer come in and, uh, the doe walked right past me and I thought he was going to follow her and give me a 20 yard shot. And he ended up running up the ridge and trying to circle her. So I didn't get a shot at him. And then I saw another really good eight point and he kind of took the same travel route as that other buck. So, about 9:30 that morning I actually got down and relocated to try to you know put myself in a better spot and uh that whole rest of that day it was just chaos just bucks running crazy um we had the same big 10 pointer he was covering the whole property just running a big circle I had him underneath my tree my dad had him underneath his tree my buddy had him under his tree and none of us could get shots at him he was just wow. running too fast but uh, that was a that was a Thursday. I can't remember the date. Probably the ninth or something like that. Can't okay. remember the exact date. But um, after that, it kind of shut down. Um, Friday and Saturday, you know, I saw a couple little bucks. You know, nothing big. Um, my buddy actually ended up hitting a buck, and uh, we weren't able to recover it. And then. Um, I kind of figured that the bucks were locked down with the first does that were coming into heat. Yep. And I kind of figured that's why the activity just shut off for a couple of days. So, um, it came to Monday, I think it was veterans day and it was my last day to hunt. So I went to a spot that's literally 50 yards off a of road and it just sets up perfect, um, for these bucks to cruise this, this ridge. It's kind of a, a real narrow pinch point between the road and a real steep ditch that comes up the side of the ridge. And there's a strip of pines that kind of blocks the view of the road. So these bucks just kind of travel the edge of these pines. So I set up on that and, um, it was about 30 and I hear a deer coming and I, I saw it was a pretty good buck and I decided he was a shooter and, uh, I got him to stop in my lane at 15 yards and put a good shot on him. And I watched him run and fall over and, you know, I was excited and pumped up that I finally got a, a buck on the ground and uh, I hear it, another deer walking <laughs> and I turn around and the buck that I was telling you about that we call flyer was standing 15 yards away. Oh. <laughs> he had no clue that I was there completely broadside and I just filled my, my only buck bag. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was a kind of a kick in the nuts, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> so, did that buck survive? Then, do you know? 
as far as I know, um, I ha- we don't I don't I don't have any cameras running or anything. You know, I, I haven't had any for a while, so uh, I don't have any pictures of him. But I'm I have a pretty good relationship with all the neighbors, and uh, nobody's said anything about killing him. So I think he's yeah. still there. Okay, well that's good. Maybe he'll be be there to for next year to, for you to for you to chase. You know. Yeah, and I've you know I've got pretty good history built up with him now, so it'd be pretty cool to get him down. For sure. So your Ohio season's over then. Now you're transitioning back to West Virginia, correct? Yeah. So, you know, I still got a week of bow season or so. I can't remember exactly. But, yeah, come back to West Virginia. And uh, I hadn't really hunted that much. Um, Didn't have any trail camera intel to go off of. So I just decided to throw the saddle on and uh, just go check out a, a ridge that, has been pretty good in the past. I've actually never killed a buck there, but you know, there always seems to be a, it always seems to hold a good buck. So I decided just to kind of scout my way in and set up on some fresh sign if I found it. And, uh, you know, I get out there and there was fresh scrapes and rubs just everywhere. So, you know, I got pretty excited about that. And, um, I just kind of worked my way out the ridge, kind of, I kind of had in mind where they might be bedded based on the wind that day. And I kind of just worked my way as close to where I thought they were bedded as I thought I could get. And, um, how far do you think you were from them? Um, I was within a hundred yards, I would say. Okay. Of where they were, where I thought one would be bedded. So there was, there's kind of an intersection in a logging road. And the, um, the road kind of cuts over the hill where I thought the buck would be bedded at. So there was two big scrapes right in that intersection that had been freshened up within the last two days, I would say. So I kind of figured out what the wind was doing, and I set up just downwind of those scrapes. And um, I saw a little buck chasing some does out of that bedding area, and... Uh, that was really it. It was a pretty quiet evening and it was, you know, I had maybe 10 minutes of light left. It was getting pretty close to dark and, uh, you know, I was filming my hunt and everything and I filmed a little interview that, you know, it just didn't come together for me. Just kind of whining about, you know, not, <laughs> not getting the buck and, uh, you know, I shut the camera off and was getting ready to pack up and I hear footsteps coming. I'm like, Oh, here comes a deer. And I, I see a rack coming through the, the brush. I'm like, oh, man, it's a pretty good buck, too. And he comes into this scrape, 17 yards, has no clue I'm there. So I get to full draw. He turns broadside, and, I mean, I just smoked him right through the heart. He took three jumps and fell over dead 15 yards away. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Was that the last day of bow season for you then? That was the last day before our rifle season. Yeah. Okay. Yep, and then you said your rifle season usually comes in around Thanksgiving. Is that when it was? Yeah, it comes in the Monday of Thanksgiving. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's that's awesome that your rifle season <laughs> does that because ours comes in the fifteenth of November every year. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And that's basically, rough. when that comes in, you're if you're like a diehard bow hunter, you might as well just hang it up in my area <laughs> and just get the gun out. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it is here. I mean, if you don't get a buck you know, before the rifles start cracking off. I mean, your chances of getting one are 
pretty much zero. I mean, yep. it's not impossible, but it's really tough. Right. Yeah. I mean, so you, I mean, you went to Wyoming, started the year off, killed a, you know your first mule deer, great mule deer, come back, <laughs> you kill one in Ohio, a good whitetail, and then you come back like a week later in in West Virginia, and then you knock another one down on public land, right? It was private land. Yeah, that was one was private land. land. So you killed two on two on public, the mule deer and the whitetail. Uh, I killed. Let's see. The muley was on public, and my my two whitetails were on private, though. Gotcha. Okay. So then you know you're coming into gun season, and you know you've got uh, how many buck tags do you get in in West Virginia? Do you only get one? We get three in West Virginia. Yep. Oh, you get three. Okay. So yep. you, are you uh you know transitioning over to the rifle now? Um, yeah, and you're trying to kill him with a rifle. Yeah, and um, if it wasn't for a tree limb, I'd have got that done too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, you know, I, I don't take rifle season as seriously. Um, I, it's kind of more of a social thing. I get to go yep. with friends and stuff like that, and I just decided to to go to the public land, and uh, it's a it's a spot that I use a kayak to access and uh that's kind of been a goal with the last couple of years to kill one using a kayak for access and uh yeah i went and um hiked back into a spot that i just looked at on a map i had never actually been there and uh i was getting into some pretty good buck sign and just kind of still hunting my way along and i spotted a deer headed my way and uh it wasn't a big buck i mean he was a pretty decent buck but uh he comes cruising up the ridge 50 yards from me and uh i tried to squeeze a shot past a tree and end up hitting it and just missed him by maybe a couple <laughs> inches <laughs> you didn't have those uh bullets that go around corners is that what you're saying <laughs> yeah yeah i must have bought the wrong ones that definitely didn't work <laughs> oh man so you almost got it done with a gun too so can you guys not bow hunt with uh with or can you use a bow during gun season then? Yeah, we can. Um, okay. Yeah, I just, I I like to gun hunt. I'm not one of those guys that it's hung up on one weapon. If it's yep. if it's legal, I'm out there doing it. So yep. it's, I'm yeah, the it's same fun. way. I, I agree with you. Like, I it's more of a social thing for me. Um, you know, go to deer camp, but I, I also like to crawl up in a box blind with a heater if it's cold and, (laughs) you know, that's, that's how I like to rifle hunt. I mean, I wouldn't, I won't say I won't, you know, like this year I, I hunted on the ground a couple of times. I was after a specific deer and I had to get right in on him to, you know, and I didn't have any stands or anything right there. So I, I ground sat it a couple of times. I've sat out of a couple tree stands, you know, so but for the most part, I mean, if I've already tagged out, or you're not tagged out, but if I've already tagged one and I'm kind of more of a social, like, just go out there and enjoy it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I like to, especially this year, just, you know, going out on public land and just looking at spots that I've never been to and just kind of exploring, really. And uh, I actually ended up going back to that spot, but to a different area that I wanted to check out. And I ended up killing a doe with a rifle and uh, using the kayak, so... Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's really cool. So, you know, that, that kind of wrapped up your year, correct? I mean, with those three bucks and a couple does, is that what it was? Yeah, killed a couple other does, uh, one with a muzzleloader, one with a rifle, and, well, two with a rifle. But, uh, yeah, pretty good year. It's <laughs> a hell of a year, I'm telling you. So now I kind of want to transition a little bit here and talk about uh, hunting with the saddle. 
you know, yeah, I, I kind of want to sure. pick your brain about this and, you know, how long have you been hunting exclusively out of a saddle? So 2014 was the first year that I, I started with a saddle and I've been strictly saddle ever since then. So before then, were you still a running guy, gun mobile guy or, or were you, you know, hanging set stands and, and, you know, in the summer, whenever it may be in hunting those stands? Yeah. So I've always been kind of a mobile guy, but I've always just used a climbing stand. Um, the areas that I hunt, you know, big hardwoods, finding a tree with a climber is not usually too big of a deal, but you know, you just run into the issue of, you know, just climbing these hills and stuff like that. And it's the climber that I had, you know, it was one of those big API. Yeah. I don't even remember the, I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was comfortable, but man, it was a brute to hike around the hills. Yep. But that's, that's just kind of how my dad got, got me started. We always just kind of hunted mobile with, uh, with climbing stands. And, um, yeah, once I started self-filming and getting more serious with that and more gear with that, it just that climber just got to be unbearable to carry around. Yeah, clunky, and you you know you want to be quiet and climbing up the tree, and you know I I've been there. You know I used to have a climber back in high school and use it a lot, and it's just you can't be quiet. I mean you can be quiet with them, but it, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean once you use a saddle system and realize just how quiet you can really be. I mean, there's just no way I could go back to a tree stand, honestly. I mean, I just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And that's, you know, when I got into the trophy line, um, tree saddle, I, I live in the same hometown as Johnny Eberhardt. So, you know, you, I've seen a lot of Johnny Eberhardt stuff and read a lot of his stuff. And, you know, he was the first kind of guy around here anyway, that I've even heard hunt out of saddle. And honestly, nobody else really does a couple guys here and there, but um, I actually bought mine from him. He was a trophy line. I don't know if he was a dealer or if he, you know, he had a couple saddles and I, you know, I bought one for me and my wife and we use them exclusively for, you know, two, two years, at least two and a half years. And yeah. my biggest thing was, is, you know, coming from a set stand and I wasn't even a mobile guy. Like I would, if I needed to move to a different area and do like a hang and hunt or hang and bang, I would do that. But typically I was, you know, my dad growing up he would always get in an area hang his stands and that's where he'd hunt you know that's that was the thing right, and that's yeah. how i how i learned so this saddle thing i was like this is what i want to do you know i'm going to go mobile with it well uh my biggest thing was is trying to get comfortable in it and i always wanted to revert back to the stands and that yeah. was my big thing i'd go sit one time in the saddle and be like damn, this is like, this is too much. I can't do it. Go back to my stand, you know? <laughs> and it's like, finally, the second year, or the, for two years, I was exclusively all saddled. I'm like, nope, I'm not hanging stands this year. I'm just disciplining myself to do it. <laughs> I got in a lot of good scenarios. I, you know, I killed some deer out of it, but I also struggled out of it as well. But yeah, I see the benefits in it. I mean, you can literally go anywhere. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the big thing for me, uh, I guess the, thing that kind of pushed me over the edge to to try it was um you know we we ended up leasing a place in ohio and we kind of wanted to do preset stuff and i was looking at having to buy you know a ton of different lock-on stands and um i've just never been a huge fan of the cheap lock-on stands that you can get and um i really couldn't afford to buy a whole bunch of good ones so i was you know faced with buy a whole bunch of cheap 
lock on stands that I don't really like or just jump into the saddle, which I've been thinking about doing anyway. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what pushed me over the edge to, to go with the saddle. Yep. Now, what uh, what climbing method do you use? Like, what uh, do you use sticks? Do you use, you know, you know, you probably can't use screw-ons in state land, but what what kind of climbing methods do you use? So, I've kind of evolved over the last few years. Um, when I first started, I used the one stick method. Um, with a, I had a Muddy Pro, like a twenty-inch stick. They're fairly short, but I had a five-step um, webbing aider on it. And, um, I would just set that climb to the top of it, swing off to the side in the saddle and then, you know, move it up the tree as I go. Um, it's pretty slow and, you know, it's a little bit labor intensive, but, uh, started with that. And then see, I'm trying to think of what else I've done. I've, I've literally used just about everything out there, <laughs> but the last couple years, um, I got a set of climbing spikes and when I'm on private land, that is absolutely the way to go. Um, really? I've, this, the climbing spikes I have now, they weigh 2.6 pounds for the pair. So they're carbon fiber. You know, they don't weigh hardly anything. Um, when I hunt private land, it is 100% those. <laughs> yep. But, um, you know, you can't use those on um, most public land. You can't use them. Some you can, but. Um, when I can't use them, I'll use, um, uh, 24 inch sticks that I made. So that's my main two at this point. Yeah. And so this last year, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna get a saddle from Greg and tethered, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he had, he was backed up and everything. And I said, you take care of everybody else first. Like I was going on dropped <laughs> and everything and I wasn't going to be back till October. So I wanted all my stuff like set, ready to go. And so, you know, we just haven't hooked up since then. And I, I need to, I need to get my ordered and, and get it coming. But I was also, um, uh, Drew Walter from, um, oh, darn it. <laughs> uh, yeah the wild edge wild yeah. edge yes wild edge steps i have a set of those and man those those are sweet like those are the ticket um so either when i get into this i'm i'm either going to use that or i bought uh actually i didn't buy it i got it for christmas a set of um millennium climbing sticks so they came out yeah. with like a rapid rail system so i really want i haven't even got them out of the box yet but um right. I really want to get into those, and I think I'm going to have to put some sort of silent tape on them or, you know, a lot of those guys use those, the tape to, to quiet them up, and I really don't know how yeah. much they weigh yet, but I'm, I'm anxious to get them out and try them and, and see if that's the way to go, too. Yeah, I forgot to mention the uh, the Wild Edge Steps. Um, I had a set of them that I, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, they call it the Nader and the Sweater. Yep. It's kind of, a, yeah, I, I had a set of those and I used that uh, a few times this year and it's, it's definitely a good option if you put, put a little bit of practice into it. So yep. yeah, you'll definitely have to try that. Now the Nader and the Swader, the Nader is for the knee, isn't that right? Yep. And then the Swader, was that for the foot? Is that the foot one? Yeah, it's basically your, your longer aider. So you would hook it up first and then take a step up and then the the nader has the hook on it that's right above or right below your kneecap so that would yep. hook into the uh the rung on the wild edge stuff but yeah it's a pretty cool system and it's 
super lightweight you can get really high with with four of those things i mean it's yeah. pretty amazing <laughs> so basically if you can explain to everybody that doesn't know what a nader and a suader is uh give your best rendition of what that is <laughs> <laughs> all right so the wild edge step is kind of a a triangle shape that has a, a crossbar on the front of it so the suader is basically just a loop of webbing that you step i would put it on my left foot and you clip it onto the rung of the wild edge step with a carabiner so the the one i have is an adjustable aider so i can put my foot in it and then kind of cinch it down and kind of jack my leg up about as high as i can step so it's basically just a single webbing loop that hooks to the uh the wild edge step and it's basically your first step up it acts as another step so you don't have to put yeah. one actually there Exactly. And it, it cinches around your foot. So it kind of moves up with you as you go. So you don't have to have multiple aiders as yep. you go up. Yep. So you take your first step up with that. And then that puts your your second leg, which would be my, my right leg, puts you can just step up, hook that hook into that's right below your knee. You hook it into the rung of the wild edge step. And then you can transfer your weight onto that. And as you step up, you unhook the other the other legs aider and kind of just move it up with you. It sounds more complicated than it really is, but it's it's pretty easy to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've I've actually have the aider. I think I have a suede. I think you sent me that as well. Um, I used them a couple times out in the yard this year practicing and everything, and I just didn't have enough time to to get with them to to feel comfortable. And uh, but next year, like this, that's one of my. That's one of my things this off season is to get really comfortable with those. I was getting up in the yep. tree. I could get up about 20 feet or so in about 15, eh, 12 to 15 minutes, which I thought was okay for the first time yeah. using them. But I really wanna, I wanna get it, you know, a little quicker, but also quiet. So try to find that happy medium. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of a learning curve to to the wild edge and all that but you know just like anything it just takes a little bit of practice to yeah to get it down right yep so you know going forward now you said your your season's still going on right now um actually ours is um this is the first year that we've had it's called a heritage season where you can hunt with a, a percussion cap or a flintlock muzzleloader okay. and then a recurve or a longbow so we actually have that this weekend and then our season is is wrapped up okay so what do you have planned going into the off season here for to get ready for next year really yeah so i mean i've got um several areas that i've been looking at on a map and uh just kind of getting those in order trying to figure out when i can go and check them out i like to do all my scouting you know before green up in the spring so i can kind of look at you know this past fall's buck sign so you know i'll mark several areas and just uh take a day and go check them all out and try to find some new spots and then you know i've obviously got spots that i've that's that have been historically good that i've been finding over the past couple of years so just kind of you know if i've learned anything new about those spots you know during the season kind of take that into account and see if i need to make any adjustments and but basically for me, I'm just trying to <clears throat> find spots that I can jump around on and uh, 
try to get that all done before turkey season. That's usually my goal. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that, I think that's usually my goal too, but I roll into like June and July and it's like, Oh, I really need to get this stuff done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough finding time to, to get out there and do it. That's for sure. Yeah. Especially when you got little kids and, and you want to get yep. family time in and you're just trying to find a way to carve out an hour, you know, just to get out there yeah. and do something. So, yeah. And I've, I've definitely taken the family along and, uh, you know, they're all cussing at me because I'm dragging them through briars and all kinds of stuff. So <laughs> you just kind of have to pick and choose when you can take them out. But uh, yeah, I had, I had that today, honestly, my wife and my wife and I went out with, we took our daughter and, and she's, you know, 16 months old. She can't walk in the woods. So you get, somebody's got to hold on to her. But, um, I had my two <laughs> nephews with me too. And, uh, one six and one's three, I believe. And yeah. the one is, he's just, the older one, he's just not like an outdoorsy type of kid. And the other one, yeah. he's just, he'd run through a brick wall and you, he'd never even get hurt. You know what I mean? He's just like <laughs> talking and yelling and everything. And there's pickers all over and they just don't want to touch them. And it's like, I'm trying to, you know, check the cameras, but I want to be quiet. I have this problem. I'll tell my wife, I'm like, it's hard for me to bring, even in the off season, it's hard for me just to myself to go in the woods and not be quiet. <laughs> like I'm always walking on like eggshells, it seems like, you know, and it's, yeah. You yep. got kids yelling, and I'm like, oh, gosh, all the deer are gone. I know they are. <laughs> but we needed to get out of the house. I'll tell you, it's we need some fresh air. So Yeah, this is a rough time of year. You know, the season's kind of wrapping up, and it gets dark early, so it's just not a whole lot to do. It's yep. I, I would know we've been feeling that, too, so it, it makes it tough. Yep, and like I said before we started recording there, I you know really took up you know, bow tuning and working on your own bow and building your own bow. So that's my off season stuff right now. I'm, I've been doing all my own bow work. So I'm excited to dive headfirst into that and, and kind of fine tune, you know, my wife's bow and my bow and backup bow and all that stuff. So, yeah, this is a good time of year to kind of go over all your gear and, you know, whatever tweaks you need to make just while it's fresh in your mind, just go ahead and get it done. That way it's, one less thing to tackle before season comes in for sure man well cool i want to uh thank you for coming on i really appreciate it and we're over a little over an hour here and getting a little late so i'll cut you loose here yeah Aaron, i appreciate it it was uh it was fun talking some hunting with you yeah well i'll definitely have you on again here i want to dive into some more things as well but i don't want to keep you too late and we're over an hour here so We'll, uh, we'll save that for a, a rainy day later. <laughs> yeah, man, just give me a shout, and we'll uh, we'll do it again. Cool, man, I appreciate it. And there you have it, another great episode. I can't thank Jared enough for coming on and doing this, taking the time. You know, it's late at night to come on here and talk about his season and his tactics and, and everything to go with it. One thing I didn't mention with Jared is that you guys should go on to his YouTube channel. It's called Flingin' Arrows. And he's got some really cool videos up there. He he does all self-filming. He edits his own stuff. He's a photographer as well. So go on to his YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. And uh, there's some really cool content on there. So go on there, subscribe, show him some love. Again, I just can't thank Jared enough for coming on. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And don't forget, go on and uh, leave a five-star rating. Leave some feedback. And I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.